executive director of the Massachusetts Newscast, the official podcast of the Massachusetts Coastal Coalition, with host myself, Joe Rossi, and co-host and vice chair of the Massachusetts Coastal Coalition, Tim Williams. And welcome to another No Flood newscast. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We have a lot of great updates today on a very special uh, No Flood newscast. And I'm here with co-host Tim Williams. Tim, welcome to the new year. Happy New Year. Yeah. Good to be it's, back. Uh, it's, uh, it's a very welcome new year, I think, more so than many other new years in the past. Um, and, you know, we dove right into, speaking of the new year, we dove right into... 2021 uh, with some major legislative news and changes. Um, and what's interesting, Tim, is, you know, I, uh, we published our Coastal Connection article at the end of 2020, kind of speculating what would happen legislatively in 2021. And, you know, I don't think there's any speculation we could have done that would have shown what's already happened in the first two weeks of the new year. So <laughs> to kind of bring us up to speed on that, we have a very special guest with us today, uh, Mary Inderfirth, who is the legislative liaison for both the Association of State Floodplain Managers and also the National Flood Association. Uh, Mary, welcome to the No Flood Newscast. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time. And you know, you know, we kind of prefaced the, the, the discussion uh, just then with kind of talking about some of the landmark things that have happened in just the first two weeks of the year, focusing more on the change in, in congressional, uh, congressional members um, going into the new year. But before we do that, I want to kind of give you an opportunity to give our listeners a little bit of a background of your involvement in history in the National Flood Insurance Program, because... Uh, your involvement uh, goes for many, many years uh, in the, from the legislative perspective. Right. Yeah, so I got involved in flood issues because I worked for former Congresswoman Lindy Boggs of Louisiana. She represented most of New Orleans. Obviously, New Orleans has a lot of flood issues. Um, and in fact, her husband, Hale Boggs, when he was in the Congress, um, he was actually majority leader of the House of Representatives, and he was one of the several authors of the 1968 flood insurance legislation. Um, he disappeared in a plane, small plane over Alaska in 1972, and in 1973, um, Lindy Boggs was elected to his seat in a special election, and I guess I came to work for her about a year after that worked for her for a total of 15 years, but 10 years, and, and she was initially on what was then the Banking and Currency Committee, which had jurisdiction over the flood program. And then she went on appropriations and was on the subcommittee that funded FEMA. Uh, because as you know, the flood program was originally at HUD and then mm -hmm. when FEMA was created in 79, it became part of FEMA. Anyway, I did appropriations for FEMA and HUD and small business and so on 
for um, 10 years for her. And during that time, um, I talked with uh, people from the Association of State Floodplain Managers and others involved with the flood program who would come to visit her office and then later um, morphed into working with both of these associations. The National Flood Association started out as the Flood Determination Association, those companies that decide whether a property is in or out of a floodplain for flood insurance purposes. Um, but anyway, so what I do is follow legislative issues in Washington and policy issues in general that relate to flood. And of course, that means not just FEMA, but it involves a whole range of federal agencies. There are some, I think it was identified, um, 150 different programs in the federal government that in some way impact flood issues. So wow. there's a lot to follow. And all it involves the Department of Agriculture, that involves HUD, CDBG, DR, it involves USGS and all of their activities and, um, and the Army Corps of Engineers. So kind of a wide swath of issues to follow and keep people informed about. So, so I guess at the end of the day, there's no, there's no shortage of things to keep track of. That's for sure. Right. <laughs> Wow, and well, a lot of interplay there for the agencies. Yeah, and and I guess one of the one of the interesting things, and and I'm sure that you see it, you know, very often is how the agencies work or sometimes don't work together to create sound policy for floodplain and flood insurance. Oh yeah, and, and there are a couple of interagency organizations that attempt to do that. Sometimes they're more active than others. One of them is called MITFLAG, which is the Mitigation Federal Leadership Group. And another one is called FIFMTIF, which is the Flood Insurance Floodplain Management Task Force. Uh, uh, hmm. MITFLAG and, uh, and FIFMTIF have been more active at some points than others. I think FIFMTIF is being reactivated quite a bit now. Um, but it'll be interesting to see in the incoming administration. There's um, uh, uh, certainly there's, they're already announced that they're gonna have a climate czar of sorts who will be uh, former Senator um, Kerry. And then also at the White House itself, Gina McCarthy, um, who was formerly the EPA director will be um, working on climate issues at the White House. But I think also uh, there's some discussion about having a resiliency office at the White House level, which would in, in collaboration with climate also work on coordinating across the agencies. So wow. we'll see how that uh, pans out, but I think that's something we should all be watching. No, I was just going to say, Mary, that, you know, a lot of our constituents and people that are, you know, come to our nonprofit at the co coalition want to know the short-term reauthorizations, why? And I think you kind of answered that with so many different agencies getting involved. But do you see that changing now that we've got kind of, con you know, the Senate now being favored towards Democrats and just the change in the political landscape, if you could talk a little bit about that? Oh yeah, that'll make a big difference because um, in particular for the flood issue, I believe because, um, well, 
It's under the jurisdiction of, in the Senate of the Senate Banking Committee, which has been chaired by um, Senator Crapo of Idaho, who really didn't have much interest in flood issues. And so even though the House, uh, as we know, unanimously passed a piece of legislation last year um, uh, reauthorizing and reforming the flood insurance program, it actually it was unanimously reported out of committee, but then it uh, there were a lot of concerns that came up. And so uh, even though that bill had unanimous support in committee, there were still some issues there. So uh, I, I think that it's pretty clear from uh, the staff of the House Chairman, Maxine Waters, that she does intend to move fairly quickly to again uh, introduce flood insurance reform legislation. And this time she'll be working with some of those who had uh, other concerns. And um, But I think the starting point for her, according to her staff, will be the bill that unanimously was reported out of committee. Um, on the Senate side, there was no action at all um, <laughs> in this past Congress. Um, and really because the chairman wasn't so interested, but he did have staff that was following the issue. But um, now that we know that the Senate majority will be with the Democrats, that means we'll have um, Senator Sherrod Brown of Ohio as chairman of Senate banking. And he does have a lot of interest in flood issues and also climate issues. So, uh, and, and we have actually worked with his staff, met, with his staff many, many times. Um, and uh, the two key staff people will still be there um, who've been in the minority, but now they'll be in the majority. So um, I look forward to some action on the Senate side. So I think the prospects for getting some reform legislation in this Congress are much better than they have been. Yeah, the reason for all those short-term you know, extensions was because we couldn't get any action on them before. Yeah. And, and that, and that's great. And, and, you know, and that's exactly what I was, where, where I wanted to kind of start today uh, with our discussion with you, Mary, which is talking about, you know, the, the focus of our discussion today in the last several weeks will not so much be on the turmoil that's happened within the Capitol building. And even though that is certainly notable in the beginning of 2021, but more yeah. so on the change in in the Senate, uh, moving to a, a majority, a Democrat majority. And as you highlighted, that certainly will change the prospects of getting some type of legislation across the finish line for NFIP reform and authorization. But I want to also focus on, um, you know, something that you've already mentioned a little bit about, which is what it means to have a new president um, that has made climate his focus. You know, what will, uh, and, and you also mentioned before, and maybe we start there, where the bill that was reported out of committee in the House in 2019 for flood, for the NFIP, came out unanimously. So are we talking about an issue that's really been a, a partisan issue? Or are we talking about something where each constituency based on their geography or each senator or rep based on where they are, are going to have vote, you know, concerns about different elements of any type of flood reform. You really hit the nail on the head there. 
this is not really a partisan issue. It's really much more geographic in terms of what are the particular concerns that members have about the flood insurance program and also uh, floodplain management in general. Um, obviously, you've got some parts of the country that uh, have different kinds of flood concerns than others. So um, those are the more important factors with regard to the flood insurance program. Yeah. And so how does that, you know, how does that when we talk about, you know, being at more of a geographic issue than it is uh, 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 a partisan issue, um, how does that translate all the way up to to the White House and in, in your opinion? You know, you, you've mentioned how there's going to be a lot of climate focus uh, in the White House in this administration. Do you think that flood insurance and floodplain management then becomes a focus of, of uh, White House administration? Well, I hope it will. <laughs> I do think that um, it's, it will be a factor. I, it's, it's hard to know exactly or you know, prognosticate right now, um, but it certainly is very interwoven with climate issues. And, yeah. and that's really important because um, in terms of floodplain mapping, for example, um, getting future conditions and, and uh, climate considerations into into the kind of flood risk information that's available to local officials will be extremely important and it is all very much interconnected i mean i, I don't know quite, there are a lot of things to say about that um and i don't want to sort of jump ahead of myself here but for example uh information about uh precipitation and a lot of that is related to climate change and extreme weather. Um, a lot of the extreme rainfall events that we've been seeing. Uh, and we, we have realized that uh, precipitation data around the country is very out of date. I assume that that is probably gonna be uh, an important climate connected element for, that will relate directly to floodplain management. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later because there was legislation out there that didn't quite make it in the last Congress, but will probably be taken up again. Yeah, and and you know that is um, that is kind of where I do want to kind of dive in. You know, Tim started that that down that road earlier, but what um, in 2021, uh, and you also mentioned earlier uh, about the Maxine Waters, uh, Representative Waters, wanting wanting to take. Um, last or 2019's bill and make that kind of the starting point. What has been, uh, in your opinion, the the stalemate between that the the Senate and the House? Um, we now see that that the majority leader is going to be Chuck Schumer, who comes from a geographic area that has a ton of flood issues. <laughs> so you know what is what is that in in terms of you yeah. know what's going to happen between the Senate and the House, and how does that now play a major role into what we'll see? Well, the, Chuck Schumer has a very smart man, got a lot of interest in flood issues for sure, uh, but we, he, he's been very public about his concerns about risk rating 2.0 and. Mm. So I have to assume that that will play a role in how the Senate moves forward. Um, there was a bill introduced in the previous Congress by the congressman from Staten Island who lost his election, his bid for re-election, um, but his, his bill would have required 
a study of impacts of risk rating 2.0 on premium rates and so on. And that and it said that FEMA, it directed that FEMA could not implement risk rating 2.0 until six months after such a report was provided to the Congress. Um, he, he has a colleague uh, also from New York, Congresswoman Kathleen Rice, I believe, has committed to reintroduce that bill. So that'll be something that, that's in the House, but I wouldn't be surprised to be, see something comparable on the Senate side, as you mentioned, because of the concerns of Chuck Schumer. So, um, but, but he'll, he'll certainly be influential. Yeah. So, Mary, when you say concerns about when you say concerns about risk 2.0, what are Schumer's objections or real concerns? Well, the state of New York has Long Island, <laughs> and, sure. um, and it's pretty yeah. obvious that if we're going to be, um, you know, very smart, really, to be trying to do a better job of risk assessment. Um, and have that reflected in flood insurance rates, it makes perfect sense, but it's also quite likely that a lot of his constituents on Long Island will see higher rates. And so um, that's that's where his concerns come from. I would think Massachusetts would be right next to uh, New York and that for our, mm -hmm. for our listeners. So. <laughs> yeah. 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 And and Mary, in, in in talking about you know risk rating 2.0 and your in your you know understanding and in opinion based on the, the work that you do, um, how how has that communication process been like? How do legislators feel when they think about risk rating 2.0? Do they feel like they're getting comfortable with it and they're still not sure? Do they feel like maybe they really wish they could see a lot more of it? You know, have you had discussions and and heard from them on this? Yeah. There's a lot, I, I would say there's a lot of nervousness. Um, and, and you know, it's as somebody that we work with at the Realtors said one day, and very astutely, he said, uh, when there's fear, there's a vacuum. <laughs> and when, you know, when, when you're stepping into that vacuum of, of not uh, much knowledge, it just exacerbates the fear and concern. So yeah. I think that's where we are. Um, certainly encouraging FEMA to produce as much information as they can uh, about how they expect to go about uh, the risk rating 2.0. Um, certainly both the National Flood Association and the Association of State Floodplain Managers have encouraged FEMA to, in their messaging to provide as much information as possible about what are the factors that are gonna go into this reevaluation of rates. And uh, because to, to de demystify it a little bit, that really has been the problem, that and it I has been um, hard to understand and therefore there's fear. And I can't imagine that the bigot waters of 2013, I think, has, well, you know, that 12, excuse me, mm -hmm. that must have played a huge factor in, you know, this kind of skeptical Right, right, because of, because of moving as quickly as it would towards actuarial rates. And then, and, and you know, really hearing the presentations that FEMA does on risk rating 2.0, it does make a lot of sense. I mean, for example, you know, any property that is um, in a, not in the V zone, but in the A zone, there's a huge difference 
in a property that's right next to the B zone and a property that's right next to the X zone. And, you know, it makes perfect sense to try to differentiate um, and, and provide a more accurate risk assessment. But, you know, there will be areas that uh, have lower rates as a result and, and areas that will have higher rates. And for uh, members of Congress or the Senate who feel that their constituents are more likely to have higher rates, you're going to have some concerns there. Well, and, and this is a great opportunity, Mary, to talk a little bit about one of the more recent developments um, that has happened, um, which is the uh, petition that both NRDC and ASFPM have signed on to to try to get um, FEMA to update their floodplain management standards. Talk a little bit about that. Yes, um, NRDC and ASFPM just um, submitted a petition to FEMA. This is under the uh, provided, it's a mechanism provided for under the Administrative Procedures Act. And it basically asks FEMA to um, move ahead with updating floodplain minimum standards um, and also to implement a lot of the mapping requirements from the Bigger Waters 2012 legislation, which included future conditions. Um, there's, you know, the Technical Mapping Advisory Council did a whole report on future conditions mapping, but they really haven't been able to move ahead with incorporating that. I'd say a lot of that is a resource issue um, uh, because there's so many flood maps in the country that need to be updated. We also have a large amount of property out there that has never been mapped. Um, so basically, according to a big study that was done by ASFPM, really we have um, reliable floodplain maps, floodplain risk maps for only about a third of the country. Um, there's another third that has never been mapped or has way out of date maps. And then the other third is federal land. So the question becomes, do, you, do we need to map the federal land? Uh, but in any event, we need to make better progress on uh, getting the maps that are out there updated and mapping the unmapped areas. And that is a resource issue. But then we also have these uh, other mapping tasks that were provided for in Bigger Waters 12 future conditions, mapping areas that are subject to inundation by levee failure or dam failure, um, and those residual risk kinds of areas. Um, and so this, it, it, it's all every year, it's, it's a problem to make sure we get enough money for mapping and we still don't have enough. Uh, it's authorized right now at 400 million a year uh, the best we've gotten is what we've had the last couple of years, which has been 263 million. Um, and that was because Congress, frankly, understands the mapping needs much better than certainly this past administration has, because past administration one year requested zero for mapping. And then the next year they requested 100 million. But the Congress has, for the past several years now, provided the 263, still far short of the 400 authorized. And the authorizing legislation that's been considered um, would up that um, further. So um, I think that um, the, the petition is basically to try to nudge FEMA in that regard and also to look at 
updating the floodplain management standards, which also have not been updated in a very long time. And um, so the, the process then is FEMA can review this. It says they have to respond within a reasonable time. It doesn't define what a reasonable time is. <laughs> and, um, and then the FEMA administrator will either accept the petition and move forward with rulemaking or reject the, the petition, um, and at, at which point it could become a subject for legal action. ASFPM's never done legal action like that, but NRDC has. Um, but hopefully it wouldn't come to that. Um, we have reason to believe that many of the folks um, who, who work within FEMA may find this helpful uh, in, in helping them to move things along. So, and, and, just, and just to give our listeners some perspective, there are places in our nation where the only set of building standards are the NFIP minimums. And so while many states, uh, Massachusetts being one of them, benefit from having an adopted building code um, that it adds those adds to the minimum standards, many places don't. Um, so I think it's a worthwhile effort and it's been something that has been talked about for at least a decade um, since the floodplain management standards, you know, haven't been updated since the 70s in many cases. Right. Uh, and so. actually what's interesting too is that, as you point out, Joe, a lot of communities and in some cases states have actually instituted higher standards than the FEMA minimum standard. So in some ways, this is asking FEMA to catch up with what other uh, jurisdictions have taken upon themselves. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier, you know, the precip precipitation rates and the effect of rainfalls, tying all that together with the areas that are unmapped and, and getting these standards is it's, it's great news. It sounds like something that we should be doing and get, getting this positive and hopefully this moves forward quickly. Yeah, we, we talked about earlier things that did happen or are happening. Let's talk about something that, that didn't happen, right? The Floods Act, which was, and, and Mary, you can talk a little bit about what it was supposed to do, but it did not pass. And it was something that we saw other flood, we saw other flood legislation pass, such as the Storm Act, but we did not see the Floods Act pass. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that was a real squeaker and really a heartbreaker um, because it was like right at the finish line and it just didn't make it onto the House floor in the flurry of activity. You know, during a lame duck session, things get a little crazy, as you can tell. And um, there were a lot of bills that were brought to the floor while they were dealing with, you know, trying to get appropriations done for the whole entire federal government and all the debate about that. Meanwhile, in the background, um, a lot of bills were being brought up in both the House and Senate under uh, unanimous consent kind of procedures. In the House, it's called suspension of the rules. You have to have a two-thirds vote. So basically, it's considered non-controversial legislation um, when it goes by that route. Well, the Floods Act was a pretty interesting bill, um, and it would have established a national integrated flood information system to be based at NOAA. Uh, that would provide uh, flood early warning, improve interagency coordination and collaboration on collection and use of flood-related data. Um, and, and also, uh, during the Trump administration, 
there was, they started up something that they informally called the water sub-cabinet, which was another mechanism to try to, um, across federal agencies, provide collaboration and, and at the sub-cabinet level. Um, and that would be authorized in that legislation too. But Section 12 of that bill would have, for the first time, authorized federal funding of $3.5 million a year for 10 years to update Atlas, what's called Atlas 14, which is the records kept by NOAA of um, precipitation data. And it, it, most, the, the most up-to-date state is Texas. They had an update done in uh, 2018. Five northwestern states have precipitation data that is 50 years out of date. Um, can tell you how, how useful that is. So, um, so the problem has been that funding has really been up to states and localities or private interests to put together packages to update the precipitation data. Well, given the extreme weather we've been experiencing and changes in precipitation um, amounts and frequency, um, it seems that this is really a role for the federal government to try to avoid having this patchwork quilt of information out there and actually try to integrate it. And it really is not, I, I realize 3.5 million sounds like a lot of money, but in the scheme of things, it's not. When you think about the FEMA, the investment we make in FEMA's flood maps at 263 million a year, um, the precipitation data would go a long way towards making those maps more more accurate, um, and it would it would be a repository of that information at NOAA that would be available for all federal programs to utilize. Um, so anyway, unfortunately, um, it well it passed the Senate. Um, another version of it had had bit uh, passed in the House, and then at the last minute. They were able to come together on one, uh, on the notion of having the Senate bill brought to the floor in the House, which would have meant they didn't have to do a ping pong thing back and forth between the House and Senate. Um, so it was already, the legislation was being so-called held at the desk and to be brought up on that suspension calendar. But just in the, in the last several days, it just didn't make it onto the suspension calendar. So unfortunately, we have to start over. But... Mm because that's what happens when one Congress finishes and the next Congress is convened. Yeah. But, but um, there's another piece of this, and that's something called uh, probable maximum precipitation. Mm. That's another, another type of precipitation data. The, the House, the chairwoman of the House relevant subcommittee um, had one, in her bill, she had wanted to deal with that. It's called PMP, probable maximum precipitation. Um, and the Senate regretted Senate uh, Commerce Committee staff said they regretted they hadn't been able to include PMPs in their bill. They're just, they ran out of time. So they have committed, this was the former majority, so I don't know <laughs> now that this switch is over, um, but they had committed to working with the House in the next Congress to um, deal with the PMP issue. So I'm assuming now when they work on the Floods Act. Actually, we've got a call scheduled with them for Friday. Um, when they move ahead with um, uh, you know, reactivating the Floods Act, they'll probably try to include PMPs too. 
for those out there who understand those distinctions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the I think the overall kind of takeaway from all that, Mary, is that there is um, going to be an effort this year to try to get the Floods Act, you know, to 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 move in this Congress. Uh, let me run through here. There was quite a lot of activity during the land up session that related to us and all of our issues. Um, so uh, we, usually there's a flurry of activity during that time, but this time there were a lot of things, a number of things that related to our flood issues. Mm. One was that the Water Resources Development Act passed. Um, that is legislation they try to do every two years. It basically is authorization for, a lot of it is authorization for Army Corps of Engineers projects, but this time it did include some good policy um, elements in, for example, encouraging the core to include consideration of nature-based uh, solutions to flood problems um, to a greater extent than they have traditionally. Another one is uh, technical assistance for communities where uh, it's been very difficult actually for the core to provide, to just go out there and help communities sort out their, their flood, uh, flood protection and risk modification needs. Um, the reason being they had to charge it to a particular project. So there are a couple of small programs at the Army Corps of Engineers. Um, Floodplain Management Services is one. Another is planning assistance to states. And of course, the other one is Silver Jackets. So th this bill actually highlights those programs and encourages um, more of the core districts to make use of those programs. Another bill that passed was the Digital Coast Act. That one had been out, out kicking around for seven years and <laughs> finally finally made it through the, the whole entire process. Um, you know, there's a Digital Coast uh, program at FEMA, uh, no, excuse me, at NOAA, but, and its motto is more than data. And the idea is that that program compiles coastal risk data and pr presents it in a usable tool fashion to local entities for floodplain management uh, in coastal communities. And so now, finally, it's a fully authorized program uh, with funding of authorized funding of $4 million a year. We still have to do appropriations. This is just authorization level. Um, there's also the National Landslide Protection Act, which passed. Um, that also formalizes a program that had already been in existence at USGS, but it expands it dramatically. Um, it broadens the existing program um, and requires you know, coordination among the federal agencies, but it would identify landslide risks, strategies to reduce those risks, um, improvement in, of communication and warning and emergency preparedness. And it requires the program to map uh, landslide hazards and coordinate with states and local governments. And it uh, authorizes 37 million for that, for four years for that program. And it also, very importantly for FEMA map, it also authorizes 40 million a year for what's called the three gap program. That's um, the elevation, to topographical elevation data, three dimensional data, it's called three gap um, at uh, USGS. And that's where they collect LIDAR and IPSAR in Alaska, um, topographic data, and um, that contributes significantly to the accuracy of FEMA's flood maps. So mm. we're very, very pleased that get authorized. Then there was also the Storm Act, which is one of those that did make it on the uh, suspension calendar. Um, and that 
I love these acronyms, though. It's the STORM Act, which stands for Safeguarding Tomorrow Through Ongoing Risk Mitigation Act. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anyway, um, and that's been signed. And it would provide uh, for two years, fiscal 22 and fiscal 23, uh, $100 million each year to states to capitalize uh, revolving mitigation loan funds. So um, that's a, that's an interesting bill. It's going to be interesting to follow its implementation and what we can do about appropriations for it. Um, another smaller bill, but interesting. The NOAA Commissioned Officer Corps uh, ex- increases the size of uh, the Commissioned Officer Corps at NOAA by 55%. Um, so those bills all passed. Wow. Um, there, there's another list of bills that did not pass, but nobody, except for the Floods Act, which we expect to see reinvigorated, there are several others that were introduced. Nobody really thought they could get acted on in the last Congress, but they were sort of messaging bills, and we're likely to see them get reintroduced. Um, one, one would establish a National Disaster Safety Board modeled after the National Transportation Safety Board. Hmm. And then there's the Resiliency and Taxpayer Savings Act, and that would would uh, actually require building design and siting requirements when using federal funds. Um, it, it, it's a, it's it's trying to get at what we had in uh, you know before it was negated by President Trump. Uh, we had the flood risk management standard. Um, that bill would try to reinstate something like that. There was another bill that was much more blunt and to the point on that called the Federal Flood Risk Management Act, which would establish that federal standard. Um, that it basically was that when, you, when doing substantial uh, improvement or uh, recovery after a disaster or new construction in a floodplain, two feet above the base flood elevation for normal properties, three feet above for critical infrastructure like hospitals, police stations, and so on. And there's also another bill, Preliminary D- Damage Assessment Improvement Act, uh, which would require co- a report to Congress on how FEMA does post-disaster damage assessment. And it would establish disaster assessment teams at FEMA. Um, and then there was another one called the Built to Last Act. Um, which is another building standards kind of bill. So anyway, I expect to see, these are bills that I expect will all be reintroduced. So wow, there there will be no shortage of activity this Congress based on, based on all of that. Um, and, and you know what's really interesting, Mary, is as you kind of took us down the road of bills that were passed and bills that were proposed, you know, this is all being done in a shadow of the one of the you know worst uh, economic crises crises um, in the history of the United States, and, and because of the COVID nineteen pandemic. And the point I'm making is um, that's that there's still been a big focus on flood and climate related resiliency, even through. Um, you know, this, this trying time of, of uh, you know, our, the way that we're changing and, and doing certain things. And I think, you know, I think that's, that's great. I mean, it just shows what a, con- a challenged Congress can do. Um, and then opening up into 2021, you know, what this Congress will be able to just build on all that. 
Yeah. And, and Tim, you know, it's, it's actually the one thing, Mary, you know, we are, we are getting down here, actually, believe it or not. And this happens every time we do one of these podcasts, we're actually right down to the half hour mark. And, and Mary, you've, you've given us so much information and we could go into a lot more in terms of legislation that, uh, you know, passed in 2019, such as the DRRA. Um, we can certainly finish up with that if you'd like. I just want to see if, Tim, do you have any questions for Mary before we get down here to the end? I'm just trying to process all this information and all the access <laughs> that have been passed yeah. here. So yeah. um, it's, it's, great, it's great information. Um, and I think we just should touch on that last subject, Joe. So Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the DRA since that is something that was passed in, 20, I believe, 2019 and is just being implemented now. It was the fall of, it was like October 2018. 2018. But it is, it is in the midst of implementation. I think the biggest thing that came out of it was the BRIC program, which is sort of the new, the new, new improved pre-disaster mitigation act. Um, but that would um, set, set aside an amount equivalent to 6% of a declared disaster cost and put into a fund at the treasury for pre-disaster mitigation. And it's available nationwide. Um, you know, the HMGP program uh, would set, also that is already in existence, of course, but that is an amount equivalent to 15% of a declared disaster for post-disaster mitigation. And that um, is limited to the area of the disaster declaration. This new BRIC program, those funds would be available nationwide. Uh, given the amount, the fact that all 50 states have had declared disasters this year and um, all have disasters based on the COVID crisis. So it, it would be uh, several billion dollars would be available. I think it's 3.7 billion um, would be available uh, then for mitigation. That's wow. kind of in a in a kind of a crazy spot right now because OMB that FEMA had to negotiate with OMB. OMB is saying, well, you can only have five hundred million, um, and that's something that will be subject to the next administration to make a decision. Should they get should they allocate that whole amount mm. to uh, to be available? Um, it does expand a lot what FEMA's traditional mitigation programs, you know, elevation and relocation and those kinds of programs, flood proofing that we're all used to. And it does expand it to, it has the word infrastructure there. It's called building resilient infrastructure and communities is what BRIC stands for. Yep. And so they got the word infrastructure in there because it was in the legislation. So, you know, some of the concern is how much of that money could get swept up in big projects that maybe the Corps of Engineers should be funding it's really not in FEMA's area of expertise, but um, so those are things we need to watch for as that is being implemented, and it's in its first go-around of funding now. But I would also just uh, quickly add there are a couple of other things out there that many people are probably aware of. Rulemaking um, from the Federal Housing Administration regarding how FHA loans can process private flood insurance in lieu of the NFIP. Uh, public comments are due on that January 22nd. 
there's also another rule out there which would change the process of disaster declarations for public assistance, meaning the public properties. Um, and um, that was called for by the uh, disaster, the DRRA, the Disaster Recovery Response Act, Reform Act, um, which tasked FEMA with uh, making changes to how state capabilities to fund uh, disaster response and recovery uh, are, are estimated. So that rule is out there and comments are due on that February 12th. So those are a couple of other things that are out there. Wow, that is, uh, that is a lot going on uh, both programmatically, legislatively, and administratively, um, in in you know twenty to look forward to in twenty twenty one, and I think we hit them all, Mary. I don't think there's one thing going on out there we didn't really touch on today. So this is this is fantastic. I mean, I think what Tim and I had talked about too, and what you and I had talked about is as we go through. 2021 there as you highlighted going to be a lot of things going on so we would love to have you back on sometime in the summer or if there's something huge going on maybe even before then to give us kind of an overview and understanding of how all the different moving pieces are going to impact uh, our constituency which is you know the stakeholders uh, that interact with these programs yeah sure um, and with okay. that yeah, and with that, we have uh, we're right at the end here, Mary. We want to thank you so much for being on the No Flood Newscast. You have uh, given us some great insight and kind of a preview into 2021. As we mentioned, we'll probably have you on again this summer. Yeah, awesome. we didn't even get to talk about budget issues because they, you know, the the new budget will probably be delayed because it's a new administration coming in. But that process will all kick off this spring. Oh wow! So even more. Wow, even more to keep. <laughs> keep our eye on well thank you so thank you so much mary and uh this has been another great no flood newscast and we will talk to all of our uh listeners uh in the next several weeks 